Hello and welcome to episode 140 of the Cognicast, the podcast by Cognitech Inc. about software and the people who create it. I'm Russ Olson. This week, our host Karen Meyer interviews Daniel Compton about closures together, reframe, and lots of other interesting things. But before we get started, we do have a couple of announcements. The Dutch Closure Day 2018, which is the annual gathering of closure enthusiasts and practitioners in the Netherlands, will be happening on April 21st in Amsterdam. Head on over to closuredays.org, that's plural, days, for all the details. I'd also like to give a shout out to Closure Delphia, a closure user group in my hometown of Philadelphia, PA, who are having a hands-on closure night on Wednesday, April 11th in Center City, Philadelphia. For those of you who don't know, Philadelphia doesn't have a downtown. It has a center city. So check out Delphia on meetup.com. That's C-L-O-J-A-D-E-L-P-H-I-A. Google is your friend on meetup.com. Well, that's about it. So on the Karen and Daniel and episode 140 of the Cognicast. Today is March 5th, and this is the Cognicast. I'm Karen Meyer, and it's my great pleasure to welcome Daniel Compton to the show. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. So, uh, one thing I just wanted to mention, because I think it's really cool, you're like in a totally different hemisphere. So it's like, is it it March the 5th over there, or is it a different... Yeah, uh, March 6th now. Oh, you're in the sixth. Okay. And, yep. and uh, wh- where do you live? Uh, I live in a small town in the Waikato, which is sort of a rural province of New Zealand. So I've always wanted to go there. That's just, uh, it's on my list that I hear that it's just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a lovely place. Um, the Hobbiton, you know, the, the town where Hobbiton was recorded or just, you know, just outside of that town is one, one town over from us. Oh, really? Um, so it's, so it's that kind of you know countryside, rolling hills, um, sort of, yeah, sort of place. Do you do you get Lord of the Rings tourists coming through now? Uh, not not in our town. Our town's famous for for the cows. Um, it's, a, it's a very heavy farming town, um, and they've um, a couple of years ago the the council and businesses started to put up uh, these fiberglass cows around business. You know, businesses could could buy a fiberglass cow and paint it up. With different things so they've got you know sort of themed themed cows and then i think it was late last year uh they've made a a big giant cow one of the one of the tractor companies had always wanted to have a big big cow so there's as you drive into morrance or there's a like two-story high yeah probably two two-story high cow um towering over the over the side of the road um which which attracts some tourists but probably not as many as is Hobbiton. Wait, wait, two two stories? Two stories, yeah. It's it's ginormous. 
Okay. I, I think that's that's the biggest cow that I've ever ever heard of. Now we have at our at our state fair, we have a cow that they make entirely out of butter. <laughs> oh, wow. It's like a, I don't know, a tradition. I don't know why. I don't know who was the first person that said, I'm going to sculpt a cow out of butter, but they did. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So now they do that every year. It's very strange. Mm. Okay. So, uh, so anyway, getting to the the first question, the traditional first question that we like to ask any of your guests, all of our guests, um, is about art. So if you would, if you could tell us an experience that you've had with art, it could be visual art, music, just anything that you're, was impactful to you. Sure. Yeah, so this, this experience of art was probably about seven, seven years ago, um, and we're living uh, in sort of the next city over from where we are now. And um, at Easter time, a bunch of churches together put on a Stations of the Cross in the in the Hamilton Gardens. And so there's a bunch of different art installations. They're sort of, you know, creative ways of, of thinking about the Easter, Easter story. Um, and it was all happening at night. Uh, and so you, you, it was sort of a themed, it was like sort of, you know, dark, moody themed. And we were walking through the gardens going from one place to the next and we uh, were going down this sort of narrow, narrow passageway, and the you know the person dressed up as a Roman guard sort of motioned us through to the next next garden area, and in in, the, in that garden there was in the centre of it a big electric chair um, with a big spotlight on it, uh, and this was you know sort of the the modern day equivalent of you know of of the cross, and it had sort of uh, the the electric current running through it every now and then and the sounds and it it was quite a quite a just really made me change change the way you know I think about that and every time you know you see see that cross you know people don't tend to think of it as you know uh, an instrument of torture and death you know and you don't see many people with a with an electric chair uh, hanging around their neck um, on a little pendant, um, so you know that that kind of you know really changed the way I think about that, and yeah, it was uh, a really moving piece of art for me. Yeah, that's a definitely a powerful image right there. Uh, I can see how that's <laughs> very mm. very affecting. So uh, yeah, a little bit about um, you and and programming. I always like to hear people's pasts because they come from all sorts of um, different life paths into programming. So let's hear about yours. Sure. Yeah. So I uh, studied uh, at university. I studied music, uh, and I it was uh, rock music, and I did a few math papers um, through my first first two years, and that was that was nice, um, and I was enjoying that. And I'd always sort of been tinkering around on the computer a little bit. Um, I enjoyed Apple Script and. Um, that sort of you know enthusiast um, computing, I guess you could you could maybe call it. Um, and then in my third year, I started to get a little bit more interested in programming and thinking, oh, you know, I wonder wonder about programming. You know, should I get into it? Should I try and learn it? And so I took a paper at university. <clears throat> Sorry. So I took a paper at university, and I 
Um, also picked up a book on iPhone programming and started doing a little bit of uh, Python programming. And so I was doing a few of these different uh, programming courses and I decided, you know, I really like this. Uh, and so at the end of my university um, studies, I was able to get a job uh, doing data entry for a company that I'd done work over the summer with. Uh, and so I sort of started on doing data entry and IT work and sort of just, you know, the general computer handyman stuff that needs to be done in any sort of, you know, small or medium-sized business. And that company had a, a consultancy up in Auckland that they that they worked with for all of their big, uh, all of their big um, projects for managing their warehouse and their CRM systems and, and so on. And so they had a bunch of, bunch of work with that consultancy and some of it was, you know, stuff that that someone else could could be doing if they knew what to do. And so I slowly trained myself um, and trained myself with the with the consultants to take over more and more of their work. And that was that was really good. So that was kind of my first real introduction to to programming in you know commercially. So my wife got a job up in Auckland uh, as a teacher, and so I moved up to Auckland with her, and I joined the consultancy. And so there I learned more and more programming. And so the main work I was doing at the consultancy was with this uh, warehousing and financial system. And so this is sort of your classic large mutable database, uh, you know, you know hun- hundreds of gigabytes in size. Um, so it's not very, uh, what's the word? It's, not, it's, it's, it's hard, to, hard to move or to, you know, to restore or do, do things with, um, you know, because it's so large. And uh, all of the code that you develop in uh, was also stored in the database. Um, so, oh, uh, grown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's a pretty pretty primitive sort of programming environment. Um, they they'd got syntax highlighting for the for the code editor, which is also within this application. Um, they got syntax highlighting in two thousand eight or so. Um, so you know this is not yeah you know, it's it's not Visual Studio um, and uh, so I was, you know, doing my daily work with with this, and uh, I s- probably c- came across uh, the Datomic talks on I don't know Reddit or Hacker News or some yeah you know, some programming related uh, website, and and I watched uh, Rich's Datomic talks, and they just kind of, you know, he he sp- spoke directly to to the pain that I was having um, <laughs> every day with uh, you know mutable databases and people changing things and. Me wanting to know, you know, what changed and who changed it, and uh, how can I, how can I fix it? Um, all of those questions that uh, that you want to ask about about a business system, um, you know, that I would have loved to, uh, you know, would love to be have that kind of power on on the stuff that I was working on every day, and um, yeah, unfortunately I didn't, but I thought you know if this guy has such great ideas about databases um, maybe I should you know check out the language that he also wrote uh, so you know I watched him closure videos and you know thought oh yeah this guy you know he's definitely onto something here and so I started teaching myself closure in you know in my own spare time and then a little bit later on I left the consultancy um, to go out and work on my own doing closure consulting. Um, so that's what I've been doing for about the last four or five, yeah, about coming up five years, I would say, um, doing closure consulting or some other 
programming consulting uh, in there as well. Oh, that's great. That's it. That's just an interesting path. I mean, not only the you know teaching yourself and then rock <laughs> rock music. <laughs> I mean, that that's uh, that's very interesting. So, do you still play? Um, I haven't played for for a few years. Um, I'd I'd like to get back into it at some point, but um, we've got two two small children at the moment, mm. um, and work and you know a house to maintain and you know some of the other projects we'll be talking about today so you know at the moment there's just not not really enough time for for music as well yeah so so which instrument did you play uh, did you play? uh i played keyboard and piano and guitar very cool yeah it seems like there's um i mean even at, at cognitech there there's there's quite a few people with a musical background that have gotten into programming so i know there's something about that, I guess, that <laughs> attracts yeah. people. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that too. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what it is, though. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but it's <laughs> neat. And also the thing I think is interesting about your path is that you came to closure through Datomic, which um, I, I'm sure other people have, but, um, you know, just myself and, and uh, I think most others that I hear of kind of come through the language uh, first and then go to Datomic. So I think that's mm. kind of interesting too. So I think you have a you have an interesting perspective on things. Very data. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from, from the data-oriented. So cool. Thanks for sharing that. So one of the reasons why, um, you know, I definitely wanted to have you on the show is because you're – uh, involved in this awesome project um, called Closure Us Together. So I, I wanted you to talk about it. And first, like, what is this thing? Sure. So before we talk about Closure Us Together, let's just sort of set the scene for open source and and closure. Because um, I think that's kind of, you can only really understand why why we want to do this if you understand kind of where we are, where we are currently. So uh, open source it's not something we really tend to think about that much, but it's you know been so successful that it's now just kind of the the air that we breathe for the most part. You know, every major language in the last twenty years or so is open source. You know, most most programming environments and libraries and you know tools that we use are open source, not just in Clojure, but in generally most languages. Um, as, as far as I as far as I know, I think. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's reshaped, reshaped the world of computing. And so Clojure Clojure's released in the era of open source software and the ecosystems built on open source code, um, either Clojure code or other JVM-based code. Um, and, you know, so there's many companies who've now built their businesses on Clojure and on these open source Clojure libraries and tools. And so Clojure's ten years old uh, last last year, I think. Uh, yeah, it's now become yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's now you know, it's becoming a mature language. It's not you know, it's no longer the you know sort of shiny upstart. There's other you know other other languages now that kind of take that place of the the new thing. Um, and there's now lots of important projects that people use uh, in their businesses and in their personal projects that, you know, need to continue to be maintained. And so after, you know, you've been working on a project for many years, 
it's not always as exciting to work on it. Um, you know, maybe it's now in sort of maintenance mode, it's done. You've done. You know, it, it, it's complete, but you know now it just needs to be maintained and uh, you know kept up to date with new versions of Closure and J, uh, the JVM and that sort of thing. You know, maybe you've moved on to different stage of life. You know, five years ago you, you created this library, but now you know you're you're married or you've got kids or you know there's other other things in your life and so you no longer have that, that same amount of time that you had before to just be able to pour into you know, your open source projects and so right now the closure ecosystem is healthy but sometimes progress on projects is a little bit slower than than we'd like because people just have other things going on in their life and that's not bad they're not you know they're not bad for that but you know it's just recognizing you know the way the way the world works so Closures Together is designed to help keep the Closure open source ecosystem sustainable for the long term. And so the way the way that we do that is funding open source projects in three-month cycles to be worked on, improved, maintained, um, and then we sort of repeat again uh, every three months. That's so important, I think. I mean, you hear all these uh, – I, I think there was just another one um, – you know, in the in the news the other day, that people just get burned out, right? Exactly. They, they, they start out loving, um, you know, creating something and creating something that's useful to people and dedicating their time to it. But if there's not any balance, then they just burn out. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, and I think that's that's something that people now are just starting to you know to realize in the last few years. That was you know. Uh, you know, maybe five or ten years ago, if you were to talk about getting paid for your open source projects, uh, my understanding was that was pretty taboo. Um, that generally people were pretty pretty against that. But I think people now are starting to starting to realise that you know, open source you know needs to be sustainable if it's gonna you know if if these projects that you want um, that you've built your your business on, if you want them to stick around for the future, you know, they need to be sustainable yeah definitely so important so so tell us about some of the projects um that you're working on right now yeah so uh we've uh just started uh last month we started our first funding cycle and we funded two projects there uh clj http and figwheel uh, and so for those of you who might not know one or either of those projects uh clj http is the the biggest um http client in the closure uh, ecosystem, as far as I can tell, um, I think it's got about three million downloads. Um, it's certainly a big one. And uh, even if you don't use CLJ HTTP, you know, directly in your dependency list, um, it's used uh, as a dependency by many, many other projects for you know any kind of API uh, API work. So you know that that touches, I would say, you know, quite a few people. Uh, on the on the closure backend will be influenced by by improvements to that project. Um, and the other one, Figwheel, uh, is uh, by Bruce Hellman, and it's a you know incredible tool for uh, working on closure script programs and live coding your you know your closure script uh, your closure script programs and live reloading the the code as you write it. Yeah, I just saw something too in in the closure news coming out that he just uh, announced a release of something with like a rebel readline or or something like that. 
Yeah, yeah. So this was this was a project that he's been thinking of and working on before closures together. Um, so we, you know, we don't want to take credit for it, but um, you know, as part of the funding, he, um, he was able to work on that uh, last month and release it um, as a standalone project and as part of Figwheel. So Ribble Read Line is a uh, alternate implementation of uh, a a read line for a REPL. So it gives you things like, you know, in, say, the Linegan REPL, you might be familiar with tab completion, um, or I think in, say, like the Lumo or Plank REPLs, you get brace matching, that, those sort of, you know, nice features on top of just, you know, a raw text input. Uh, and so uh, Rebel Readline takes that quite a bit further um, and gives you syntax highlighting and uh, doc strings and Emacs or VI key bindings uh, and you know a bunch of other things that are really nice to have in a REPL. Cool. I have to download that and try that. It is like on the top of my list. <laughs> so I've got to do that. Uh, so uh, yeah, a little bit uh, about uh, how how it works. If I have a open source project and I want to um, apply to yep. have it be supported uh, by Closures Together, what what do I do? Sure. So you go to the Closures Together website, and up in the header, there's a link for open source projects, and on that page, uh, it sort of talks about what the requirements are to be funded. Um, really, the main main requirement is that you know this is a closure project uh, that it's open source, and you know that uh, you're not sort of doing it for for profit. Um, and then, how, how uh, does the selection process work? Then? Sure. Yeah. So we um, so we work in three month funding cycles, and so at the start of each sort of new uh, application round, we send out a survey to all of the companies and individuals who are members, and we ask them, you know, what's important to you? What do you think we should be working on? And then we take all of that feedback and we publish it out so that projects uh, kind of know what what people are looking for and you know what what we you know what what people think is important and what we're looking for. And then we evaluate those proposals that people provide against you know what our members think is important and you know based on you know what's going to have the biggest impact to uh, you know both our members and the, and the closure ecosystem as well and then we fund those projects for the next three months so so this is i, I guess it would be an important benefit um for companies that are supporting closures together that they can have a say in uh where their funding um gets used so it can you know maybe benefit um them more impactfully right yeah definitely uh that's you know that's a really big uh but, you know, one of the reasons why you know why a company might want to might want to sign up um, because you and uh, and the people who apply for these projects are the the maintainers of those projects. So you know the people working on it are you know pretty much the best people in the world to be working on those projects. Cool. So getting to even more important, uh, walk me through how I as an individual <laughs> can support this awesome project. Sure. So again, if you go to the closuresTogether.org website, there's links for companies and developers, 
Uh, and so if you're a developer, you click on the developer and you can select developer memberships at different uh, different tiers and membership levels, depending on you know how um, you know at, at what level you'd like to support uh, support the project. Uh, and if you're a company, there's uh, you know membership tiers there, and as you donate more and more, you get uh, more more visibility in the project um, and you know other other benefits from that uh, from that process. And there's um, a newsletter like a that goes out at a regular time. To- yeah, yeah. So um, every every month uh, we we you know write about what we've been working on the last month, what the projects have been working on, um, and so you get um, you, you know, you'll get you'll get that, and you'll also uh, get uh, influence on which projects are selected. So you know, when we send out those surveys. Um, you can send it to you, you know, we send it to you and you can send that off to, to your team as well if you're in a company. Um, so, you know, you're, uh, if, if you're not the, you know, the person slinging the co- closure code every day, you can send it to your, um, you know, your developers to, to say, you know, what they think is, is, is needed and is important. Cool. So uh, I guess I'll just reiterate that we're going to put the, sh- the link in the show notes. Uh, you can go out and, and visit it. There are different levels of financial support, right, depending on your budget? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing to mention is that uh, so Closures Together is part of the Software Freedom Conservancy, which is a U.S.-based uh, charity, 501c3. Uh, so if you are a U.S.-based company, um, or you know your company has some sort of US tax um, tax paying nexus there, then uh, you may be able to your donation uh, probably you know is able to be tax tax deductible. Um, yeah, check with your accountant of course, but um, that's usually usually the case for for companies. That's awesome. Um, is, is there anything else um, before before I kind of move on to other subjects? I want to make sure that. We cover this because it's such an important uh, project, I think. Yeah, so I think that that really covers it. Um, you know, so and I guess I just encourage people to you know think about you know what they want the closure ecosystem to look like in another five or ten years, um, and you know how how are we going to get there? Um, so yeah, there's there's uh, some companies who you know have talked to who sponsor projects directly, and you know that's really great. You know, if you have you know some particular project that you make heavy use of and you want to you know sponsor that developer directly you know go for it we don't want to be sort of sucking up all the oxygen in the room uh, but you know some companies just don't have the ability or you know the time to be sort of going out directly to people and talking to them and trying to figure out how to pay them and all of that sort of stuff um, and so for those companies you know you can uh, give the money to us, and we then distribute it back out to the projects that uh, that you'd like us to to be working on. Awesome, thank you very much. Um, yeah, I also wanted to because you you not only you're you're involved in so many things. You're not only involved in closures <laughs> together. You're involved in in quite a few things, and one of them is a newsletter that I subscribe to that I'm I'm a fan of. It's called the Repl Newsletter. Yeah. Uh, so the REPL is a weekly closure newsletter. Um, it's back on weekly schedule now. Uh, now that we're sort of out of the summer summer months, it was a little bit a little bit more sporadic through there, but yeah, back on schedule now. 
Uh, and so it's a weekly newsletter where I sort of look over the week's closure, closure script news and highlight, you know, what I think are sort of the, the things most most worth your time. Um, that's not to say, you know, if I don't include something that I don't think it's worth your time because sometimes I just miss things. Um, so yeah, I'm not, don't have the all-seeing eye. So please don't uh, feel, uh, <laughs> don't feel like I've snubbed you, um, you know, if, I, if it doesn't, if your post or library doesn't show up in the, in the REPL um, this week. Yeah, I find it really useful because it's one of the challenges, you know, with our industry and especially lately. I mean, there's so much exciting stuff going on in the closure and closure script world. Like I, I watch Twitter, but, you know, if I... <laughs> If you look away. If I look away, I'm like, oh, what, what just happened with Closure Script? I didn't, yeah. <laughs> so I really appreciate, um, you know, newsletters and, and other newsletters like yours that, that kind of pick out the highlights. So at least I have an extra chance if I didn't see it on Twitter <laughs> during the 20 minutes that they had it there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll just mention, uh, you know, if, if you work on a closure project and you'd like, you know, to you'd like me to feature it in the in the REPL, just uh, send a link through to me. Um, I, you know, sort of keep on top of things. But, you know, if uh, I, you know, I appreciate it when people do send me links from time to time. Awesome. That uh, newsletter, if you'd like to subscribe to it, uh, you can go to the REPL.net. Perfect. Yeah, we'll put that in the in the show notes as well, so the listeners will be able to get there. But yeah, the the other thing that you're that you're into that sounds really cool is this thing called Depths.co, which yeah. uh, has to do with I guess private Maven repos. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so Depths is a private Maven repository service, and uh, it's designed to sort of fit in the fit in the sweet spot um, between sort of the, the very large, powerful, uh, rich tools like Artifactory and Nexus and the, um, you know, very small and uh, pretty, uh, you know, they're, they're clever in what they do, but things like the S3 private wagon, which, you know, have some limitations because they're, you know, trying to treat uh, an S3 bucket as a Maven repository for you to store your closure dependencies in. And, you know, it, it works in some dimensions, but... Uh, because it's not sort of a na- native Maven repository, you know, there's other there's limitations there, and so I'd sort of worked with both of these systems and thought, you know, I'd really like something that's kind of in the middle, uh, that's you know a little bit simpler than Artifactory and Nexus because I have pretty simple needs, and most sort of small to medium sized companies also have pretty simple needs. They don't you know, necessarily need all of the you know all the amazing features that those projects have, uh, and I'd also like it to be hosted. Uh, these projects you have to run the server somewhere, either you know on your own in, in-house company servers or in the cloud. And more and more people are not wanting to uh, have to run run these things, and you know, they'd like uh, it to be uh, software as a service rather than running the servers themselves. And so that's kind of the the market that uh, Deps is targeting. Wow! So w- when did this start, or is it still launching, or what 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 phase yeah. is it in? Sure. So um, I've been working on Deps uh, for about the last year, uh, and the it's currently in private beta, and it's got companies using it now, and so it's 
just needs sort of the last finishing touches to you know be able to let people be able to sign up for themselves so uh, it's you know people are using it if you sign up uh, on the website today you know you can you can get on boarded but it's just not quite ready to sort of open up right up to to everyone in the world um, just yet so okay so if yeah. somebody's interested they should go go to the the site depths.co that's right okay. yep go to depths.co put in your email address uh, there and i'll be in touch okay awesome so <laughs> closures together the rebel newsletter depths.co but that's not it right <laughs> <laughs> you still have I don't know where you find the spare time, but you you found some more time to work on some other stuff which has to do with reframe, right? Yeah, yeah. Um so the the company that I'm contracting for uh, at the moment is uh, Day 8, um which uh they're the creators of Reframe uh, and uh, Recom and a few other projects in the Reframe uh, ecosystem, I guess. Uh, so, uh, for for you the listeners that aren't unaware of what Reframe is, Reframe is a ClojureScript React based uh, UI framework. So, sort of in the same sort of space as Ohm or Omnext or Fulcro, uh, or I guess in the JavaScript ecosystem, Redux. Um, it's that sort of um, that sort of level of um, of project. And so, you know, you can build build your your UIs and your web applications with with Reframe. Yeah. So, so what are you are you doing with it then? Sure. So, uh, do you mean what does Day Eight do with it, or what do I? Yeah, do I bet. You, are you working on on the actual Reframe system then? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, um, I do I do a bit of work on Reframe and. Uh, the thing I've been working on, sort of in the last last few months, is uh, a project called Reframe 10x, which is a tracing, debugging, uh, inspection tool for Reframe. And uh, so we uh, injected a bunch of tracing points throughout the Reframe framework. And if you use uh, Reframe 10x or uh, another. If you use uh, ref- uh, Reframe 10x or another system that can handle these traces, then you can get uh, get given a bunch of bunch of sort of internal state about the Reframe framework. And so from that, that you can think of that as a bunch of structured log lines. And from that, uh, from those log lines, we then pass them and sort of derive higher level dashboard and insight from that. Um, to you know, in in the at the level that you know you, you think about your your application, so thinking about it at the level of event handlers, subscription handlers, what was the state of my database before this event ran? What was the state after the event ran? You know, what HTTP calls were fired? What URLs did they go to? Sort of all of all of the questions that you'd like to ask about your system, uh, your reframe system, we would like to be able to to answer for you. Um, and so you can sort of in the in the, the the very long term, you could you could think of this as trying to kill kill print line debugging. Um, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're, you know, we're we're never going to get all, all the way there, um, but you know that was sort of the, the the key insight that we started with was you know what what are you trying to do 
when you put in these these print statements, um, and it's trying to inspect the state or of your of your data at different points in the in the application lifecycle. Mm. And so we thought, well, rather than you know you having to put these um, points in haphazardly and you know ad hoc in an, in an ad hoc manner, what if we instrumented the whole system and you know we could do you know do some intelligent things with those with those traces um, to to sort of give you not just sort of data printed to the console but interpretation and meaning to that data so how, how does it how does it prevent you from being like overwhelmed with information do, is there like putting, putting breakpoints or something like that yeah that's that's a great um, great question and that's that's one of the big problems we've had in the past with with a lot of debugging systems we've used is you know you you put all of these trace points in and then you know your your console is just overwhelmed with with so much stuff that you can't really you, you can't see the forest for the trees uh, and so the way that reframe 10x works is there's a sort of GUI panel uh, that you can either pop out or put on the right hand side of your application which which collects that information and sort of shows it to you at the granularity of uh, a single event. So in, in a reframe, an event might be a click or an HTTP request or some other sort of uh, user user intention business business event kind of kind of level. And so we found that that's a really good level uh, to be to be looking at your data that you don't get overwhelmed with all of the mm. all of the small uh, sub you know subroutines that happened. Within that, but if you want to dig into that, you can you know go inside and look at different different views for you know what which subscriptions uh, you ran uh, in this um, after this event, uh, what were their values, what was their value the time before that, uh, what were the inputs and parameters to them, um, and if you you know if you need to or want to, you can look right down to the very low level traces, um, which we sometimes do still um, for, for different things. Cool. So, so how do you, when, when you're working on your debugger, how do you debug the debugger? <laughs> yes, this, is, this has been the problem uh, that I've had because, you know, of course, I, I'd, I'd like you know, another reframe 10x for my, for my reframe 10x. Um, and so the way, the way we wrote reframe 10x was it started off life as a reagent application because we were trying to we were trying to debug reframe applications and so you know if we wrote our own reframe application you know we'd be on the same page and we'd end up debugging ourselves and getting into infinite loops and and that kind of thing and so we uh we went with that for a while um but you know over time we needed more structure we needed the structure that reframe provides so we used mr anderson to um, that's a, a Linegan plugin that lets you sort of rewrite your dependencies as source dependencies and it prefixes them with the version so you can have multiple versions of of a of a dependency on your uh, you know in within a project at one time and so we used that to say we're going to make our own Mr Anderson version of reframe that only reframe 10x users and then you know we we have so there's kind of two two reframe applications on the same page uh, and then you know 
as I was working on it, I thought, man, this would be really helpful if I had my own, you know, a reframe 10x for my reframe 10x. And I haven't quite, <laughs> haven't quite got there um, to, uh, I'm not sure how, not sure, uh, you know, how, quite how I would do it or how, how sensible that is. Um, so at the moment, you know, I'm back to, back to print line debugging again, which is um, <laughs> what we we're trying to avoid uh, in the first place. Oh goodness! Well, it's it's definitely a lot lot better now than it used to be back in in the beginning. So that's that's all good. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the so that's uh, just want to mention a, a tool that we use in Reframe Ten X and also in our ClojureScript uh, debugging that um, some people haven't heard of, which is CLJS DevTools, uh, which is a you know amazing project from. Uh, Darwin and he he's created this um, this way for printing out your ClojureScript data objects to the Chrome console and printing them in a sort of useful, understandable manner. Because if you sort of print your ClojureScript objects just as you know, console.log without this, you end up seeing all of the internal uh, metadata and yes, states that, that usually. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and if you if you do sort of a print line, then it stringifies it, which is you know that's that's fine if you've got a small amount of data. But if you have a lot of data, um, then again you just get overwhelmed with <laughs> with how much is there. Um, so CLJS DevTools uh, definitely check that out. If yeah, you... yeah, we're we're using that on our project too, and we really like it. So yeah. So yeah, so of all all the exciting things you're you're doing, I'm just uh, wanting you to kind of look forward and um, you know what what is exciting you about the about the future? It could be like the closure ecosystem. It could be you know general programming, just or stuff in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so one of the things we've been working on with Reframe 10x that's going to be coming out soon, uh, hopefully, is a code tracing system and so we've been as we've been doing reframe 10x we've been so sort of going back and reading brett victor's writing about learnable programming and you know some of his other other stuff on sort of programming as a, as a way of thinking not sort of as a skill and you know how how our tools can how our tools can can assist us in in thinking about programs and understanding them <coughs> Yeah, I'm a big fan of Brett Victor's work. He's a yeah. He's he's a he's one of the, I guess, inspirational thinkers. I think yeah of our time. I really I really do. So that's a great yeah. I think it's a really great term um, that he's sort of spawned you know a thousand a, th- a thousand different projects um, based on his ideas. You know, he, he sort of gave this gave this amazing talk quite a few years ago about. Uh, the the time traveling was it was it his? the the time traveling debugger and he had had all of this this stuff come out and you know we saw light table come from that and um, fig wheel I think was influenced by this and you know lots of projects have been influenced by his his thinking um, thinking on that and so what we're what we're working on is a tool for tracing the execution of your code. So in in Reframe, you can wrap your code in in a trace point, 
and it will walk over it with with macros and add traces to all of the interesting execution points within that form and print out into into reframe 10x uh, all of the all of the the forms that executed and the results that came out and then sort of link them back to the the textual form that you know the the, the whole form as as a as a piece so this is sort of taking the the print line debugging uh, uh, you know one step further in that you can sort of see all of the all of the the traces or all of the the executions in your event handlers or subscription handlers and sort of trace through them and see you know i i thought it was going to be this i thought it was going to be this and then oh that's that line is where you know i did a a filter instead of a remove or you know that kind of that's so cool that kind of, <laughs> yeah. yeah so you know we've we're really looking forward to it and um that's that's what i'm working on at the moment so hopefully we'll have something out very soon with that yeah i'm really looking forward to that oh <coughs> but um anything else like in the on the closure horizon or regular programming horizons that you're yeah so i i think you know uh like rebel read line from bruce uh is is really interesting there's um you know the, the thing that i have about closure is you know that you get these projects that just kind of pop up out of nowhere um <laughs> and they yeah, just sort of change change the way you think about programming or just give you this really neat uh insight or tool for for, for working with with your closure programs and it just you know you can't really predict when it's going to happen um, but you know 10 years on it's still you know <laughs> there's still things um you know now and then that pop up and just go you look at them and go wow that is just a really cool cool idea so nothing nothing specific in closure but uh just you know really looking forward to keep seeing closure yeah we were we were talking uh informally the other day that we just kind of see like a a new pickup and like energy and um you know innovation right now that's kind of really exciting um and yeah (laughs) And then, of course, you've got big companies using it, too. I think somebody tweeted, I think it was just yesterday, um, I think it was um, Alex Engelberg. Mm-hmm. They tweeted a picture of a baseball game and, like, on all the jumbo- jumbotrons, you know, like, advertising yeah. on the side. It was, like, yep. code enclosure. Like, they're, <laughs> like, they're at the baseball. Yeah, it's like, that's so cool. Like, <laughs> I think it's so neat that you know we we have such a a big well established language that can be on a jumbotron, <laughs> but then <laughs> also we have people you know pushing the boundaries of you know programming with influenced by Brett Victor and you know just all sorts of other stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, and so looking looking forward to the future, I think probably the biggest the biggest thing that I can see coming coming soon uh, you know very soon in fact is machine learning and artificial intelligence um i think that's going to change programming significantly um you know over the next 20 20 or 30 years yeah i i, I totally agree like i i could i could go on about this for hours so i so i won't because <laughs> <laughs> we're getting near the end of the show but I'll, I'll just say yes i mean definitely i think closure is in a sweet spot where you know we 
we we have that symbolic AI heritage, right? That we could somehow combine with this lower level machine learning. I don't think we've quite done it yet, but I think it's a real area of opportunity for our language. Yeah, I agree. Of course, there's scary stuff going on with AI too, but we're not going to talk about that. We'll just talk about <laughs> all the all the all the nice things we can do with it, not all the bad things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh goodness. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So we're we're getting near the end of the show. So, is there anything that we didn't touch on that um, you'd like to touch on before we wrap it up? Uh, I think that's that's everything. All right. Well, in that case, we're going to go on to our traditional closing uh, question. I guess it's more of a request than a question. But anyway, <laughs> it's a request for um, just sharing some advice you have, um, just in general, that for the listeners. Sure. Yeah. So um, before I went away to university, um, there, I had a friend who was a few years older than me who went to the same university and I went out for a game of golf with him before I before I went away and one of the pieces of advice he gave gave me then was uh, that how you start is how you tend to continue um, uh, in sort of you know in, in any sort of pursuit you you go, you go on and this is this is sort of you know the flip side of of habit forming that you know you know habits especially you know good ones take you know maybe a few weeks to a few weeks to learn bad ones usually probably a little bit less um, and so this is sort of going one step one step before that which is think about which kind of habits you'd like to be making before you start before you start making them uh, and uh, you know I've thought about that in different in different contexts over you know since I've been at university and and I think it also applies sort of at you know at larger scales um in sort of the the DNA of of a company um and you know the the way that a company starts sets the sets the tone and the culture for how they how they're going to continue what things are, are valued and what are the priorities and what's rewarded um those sort of things set up set up very powerful feedback loops uh that you know can can be very good you know they um but you know if you if you don't set the right ones up then you can end up uh with uh, you know encouraging things that you know maybe you didn't didn't mean to encourage um or didn't realize you know what those what those effects would be in the long term yeah so that's great advice it's also hard right <laughs> i'm just thinking about it's like how do i know what's the right thing to do i don't know um, so, so is it just like being introspective and like, like you, I guess you have to know what you want in the first place, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you need to know what you want and just listen, listen to your sometimes listen to your intuition. Um, that you know things that might be easy may not be you know the best thing long term, best thing long for, long term for you. Um, so you know, like like an example would be. You know, at uh, when I went down to university, um, you know, at the in the halls of residence that I was staying in, they had you know basically as much food as you could you could want to eat. They had sort of cooked cooked breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you could always you know go back for more. And um, and so you know if you if you started off the year um, just you know eating 
you know, not overeating, but just, you know, eating, eating, you know, as until you were, you know, quite, quite happy with, you know, then, you know, that's setting up some, some patterns and ways of thinking about food that are going to be, you know, harder to change um, the longer, you know, o- over time. Wow. Is it, so I, I don't know if they have the same thing, but here in, in the States, they have, um, when you go to college, it's called the freshman 15 or something, <laughs> which is the 15 pounds that you gain when you... <laughs> yes. Yep. Uh, the same, the, the fresher five or 10 kilos. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I can see now with that example, <laughs> what you're getting at. <laughs> Definitely. Well... Thank you so much for um, being on the show. I think we're going to wrap it up here. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Cognicast. Our passion is helping organizations from the smallest startups to the Fortune 50 deploy technology effectively and humanely. We're here to help you build better futures. You can find us on the web at Cognitech.com and on Twitter at at Cognitech. You can subscribe to the Cognicast, listen to past episodes, and view cover art, show notes, and episode transcripts at our home on the web, cognitech.com slash Cognicast. You can contact the show by tweeting at Cognicast or by emailing us at podcast at cognitech.com. Our guest this week was Daniel Compton, whom you can find on Twitter at at Daniel with Music. Our host this week was Karen Meyer on Twitter at at Gigasquid. Episode cover art is by Russ Olson. Audio production is by Joe Smith and Jarrett Benford. The Cognicast is produced by Kim Foster. Our theme music is Thumbs Up for Rock and Roll by Kill the Noise with Feed Me. I'm Russ Olson. Thanks for listening.